You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Yeah. You with Counterculture on Reality Check Radio. I am Marie, and this morning I have the great pleasure to introduce author, speaker, and Kiwi abroad, Trevor Loudon. Good morning, and welcome back to RCR. Oh, it's great to be on. Thanks so much for having me, Marie. Now, for those who don't know Trevor, he spoke to Rodney actually in our early days of RCR. So I strongly suggest that you go and check out that Real Talk with Rodney Hyde interview over on our replays at realitycheck.radio. Definitely worth checking out. Look, Trevor, are we living in the Cold War 2.0? Yeah, we are. We're we're the... uh... The sort of period of peace since the you know the collapse of the Soviet Union is is gone, and we need to acknowledge that, and we need to prepare accordingly. We're actually, in some ways, we're worse than the Cold War because um, at one time, you know, um, America was a lot a lot more a lot stronger than it is today. Um, China wasn't nearly as strong as it was today. And Russia still has the same amount of nukes it had back then. The whole world balance of power has sort of shifted. And so we're in a Cold War. It's been fought culturally, um, geopolitically, economically, digitally, and not so much hot right now, but that could change at any time. The entire current conflict in Europe, I just get the feeling it's not about what they say it's about. What are your thoughts on the whole Russia-Ukraine situation? Yeah, and and I'm probably at odds with many on this um, because there's a lot of uh, stuff out there. You know, you, you know, it really was Putin was acting defensively and that kind of thing. And I'm more of the view that Putin's role was to go into Ukraine, take it very quickly, and China would attack the Far East, uh, Iran would attack the Middle East, North Korea would attack South Korea, and there'd be a massive surge over the U.S. southern border with terrorism, etc. That's what I think was going to happen. And I know that's not the conventional view by any means. But I think the fact that the Ukrainians proved a lot tougher than they expected has delayed the plans of Xi and others around the world. So that's not a conventional view, but that's that's my reading of the situation. Do you think Xi will go into Taiwan or will he look elsewhere? I think Xi is really talking about Taiwan, but I think his real target is America. And, um, you know, the west coast of America. Uh, look, look, coming across the southern border in recent weeks have been hundreds of military-age young Chinese men. And... Um, uh, I heard a story from a famous war correspondent the other day talking about how these men are coming up through the Darien Gap in Central America. That's the, the part of Central America where there are no roads and you have to go through the jungle. And at the end of this this little exercise, about 80 miles of jungle hopping, they kill chickens and drink the blood. Can you believe that? And that is the apparently the, the initiation ceremony of the tiger squads these are chinese pla special forces like new zealand's sas or or american navy seals so these are actual military operatives coming across and slipping across the border under cover of the of the mass refugee um influx 
And so what are they going to do? Are they going to, um, the minute China attacks America, are they going to start blowing up dams? Are they going to start assassinating people, poisoning reservoirs, mm. setting off, um, you know, bombs and supermarkets? What are they going to do? Mm. Because why else are these military-aged Chinese men with almost certainly um, special forces connections coming across the border in their hundreds right now? Well, that border has been leaking like a sieve since early 2021. Yeah. But it only just appears in recent weeks that media on the uh, left side of the fence are starting to report a little on this. I mean, I know that uh, more conservative outlets have been beating this drum incessantly that entire time. Why do you think now the media are starting just to wake up? Is it because they're starting to see some of the flow-on effects with homelessness and crime in some of these key areas? Because it doesn't seem to worry San Francisco and Chicago. I mean, they seem to be getting quite comfortable with their crime waves. Well, even Chicago is having a problem now, but it's certainly worrying New York. And um, it's certainly worrying New York a lot and many of the other cities in the north. You know, Texas has been coping with this for years tens of thousands of people in little towns, but New York gets a few thousand and it's a big panic, you know? So, yeah, it is starting to worry them. I think they're also getting ready to get rid of Joe Biden uh, because they can't go into an election with Joe Biden. So if they can hang this on him, you know, he's not he's not protected like he was. He's seen as a liability now. So they're not going to cover for him the same way. And he's got this big bribery scandal looming over his head right now, you know, allegedly taking $5 million from a foreign national. So that's going to come out. So they're not going to protect Joe. It's it's too overwhelming to ignore. And a lot of their own own Democrat cities are getting inundated right now. They're really suffering. So... Yeah, they might want to call a halt to this, at least at least for a while, to give mm. the Democrats a chance of winning the next election. And so I think they're, they're going to make more of a feature of it. So then primary season's coming up. So far, I mean, the Republicans, I mean, there seems to be people announcing nominations in the GOP left, right and centre, yeah, yeah. which is, you know, it's like every week it's like, oh, there's a new nominee. The Democrats... All of whom not, are non-entities, pretty much. Yeah, yeah pretty much, but... Democrats, not so much. And I mean, let's face it, Biden's approval ratings aren't exactly stellar. I know that they will do everything in their power to prevent RFK Jr. from getting that nomination. He sees the corruption in the deep state. He's lived it. And I know he's got the FBI and the CIA in his sights. So is there anybody that you can see in the wings that's going to pop their head up for the nomination? I think what they'll try and do is parachute Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, into the spot because he, he he looks the part and he's part of the establishment. You know, he's got this sort of movie star, good looks. He's the governor of a big state. He can be controlled. You know, RFK um, can't be controlled. You know, so they, they they see him as a danger like Bernie Sanders. You know, that the they um. In some ways, his politics aligns with theirs. Some ways, it doesn't. But they see him as a danger, and they're not going to let him anywhere near the reins of power. But they can't go with Joe, and Kamala is terrible. So Gavin Newsom is the one that's most talked about over here. Is the one that they'll try and parachute in somehow. So I expect Joe Biden to 
a scandal to erupt. He gets impeached. He gets removed. Um, and they just parachute Gavin Newsom as the candidate over over Biden and really just sideline Kamala Harris. Mm. Give her a Supreme Court judgeship or something like that, you know? Yeah, well, she is deeply unlikable. Yeah, Newsom is interesting. I had uh, friends here from California in January, live in Silicon Valley, live and work in, in, the, in the tech industry. So the blood is pretty blue in the veins. And they just had their local elections for sheriff and district attorney and all that such before they'd come back out to New Ze- come out to New Zealand. Whilst we were on holiday together, they let slip. I said, oh, you know, how did that go? We actually voted for Republican candidates. And I looked Is at that them. Is that right? That'd be right. Like- I, and I went, <laughs> oh, um, how, how did that go? And both of them said, we looked at everybody and we made the decision to vote on merit and the ones that we felt deserved to be there on merit happened to be the Republican candidates. And they are struggling now with a lot of the the cultural elements that are starting to creep in, like it's actually pierced their veil and they're finding that really difficult. So that sort of whole neo-Marxist style cultural element that's pervading everything, including the politics. What are you seeing like from a top level, but moving all the way down through, uh, particularly in those blue states? Yeah. How is it? Yeah. In- well, that's right. See, when you're in, in Silicon Valley and you're rich and you're doing okay, you don't really understand what's happening. But when it's in your school board, when you see what they're actually teaching your kids, you know, there's a lot of liberal moms out there who are very conservative when it comes to the education of their children. And they've sort of ignored it up till now, but now it's so bad in California, the transgender pushing, the sex, the corrupt sex education, all the PCism that just inundates California education and the absolute bottoming of the standards. Yeah, even though Silicon Valley people are getting pretty darn concerned about it. You know, they in San Francisco, they did a recall against Chaser Boudin, the, the extreme left-wing district attorney, because, uh, you know, which would have been unheard of at one point, because the crime in San Francisco and the de- filth and degradation of the place, that once was the jewel of the crown, you know, the, the tourist mecca for the West Coast, uh, it's in their face now. And they can't avoid it. And it's affecting their incomes. Their shops are closing. They can't uh, park their cars on the street. They got to be careful where they walk. Um, So, yeah, look, look, I I think there is a a real situation that is ripe for change in California and many other of these blue states. You know, they're Mm -hmm. either leaving or they're starting to look at voting conservative in those areas. I was in San Francisco in October 2019, and then I was back there again in February 2020. And I could not believe the deterioration in that short space of time. And I was told that it's gotten worse since. Why do they keep re-electing these highly progressive mayors? Is it just because they are so conditioned to do so? Well, partly, you know, it's partly because they are conditioned and there's a lot of younger people, very liberal-minded Etc. But the Republican Party in that in California is extremely weak and has been extremely compromised for a long time. You know, the uh, Munger family has dominated for a long time. They're basically Democrats and they keep on purging 
you know, good candidates and putting in liberal Republicans all the time. Their, their idea is you fight socialist Democrats with socialist Republicans. You know, this is how you're supposed to do it. And they won't fly the flag. And that is so, you know, Trump goes into those areas and he does very, very well. You know, people who follow his mold do very, very well. But the leadership of the California Republican Party has been shockingly weak in the last 15 years. And I talk to the grassroots all the time. I, I'm a lot in California. And the grassroots is very patriotic, very much like uh, Voices for Freedom type of people. They don't like vaccines. They don't like political correctness. They don't like being told what to do. But they've been handicapped for a long time by a very weak and very liberal Republican Party leadership. And that is starting to change now because you're actually seeing Democrats cross. Democrats mm. are crossing over and they don't want to cross over. They want to cross over entirely. They don't want to cross over to to, to Democrat light. They want mm. to change in direction. Yeah. Everywhere I go, every meeting I hold, every speech, I was a Democrat. I was a Democrat till two years ago. Not anymore. I was a communist up until last year. Not anymore. You know, they, mm -hmm. they are changing not that the leadership of the Republican Party is great in most states, but the grassroots is growing and it's becoming more dominant all over the country. Well, we saw that with the big rebellion, you know, where Lauren Bobbert and Marjorie Taylor Greene basically just about took down Kevin McCarthy and mm. extracted a whole lot of concessions. That wing of the GOP is growing and the old liberal, what they call a rhino wing, the Republicans in name only, is, is dying. You know, it's a race against time, really. Let's explore that little nugget, shall we? Because Tucker Carlson released his first episode on Twitter. And he took a swipe at the McCarthys and the McConnells and the GOP. Now, they've been on his radar for a while, but he really took a swipe at them. The Democrats are doing everything in their power to dismantle what is going on there. Now, I think there are elements in the GOP that are doing it quite healthily themselves, very much like the National Party and this country yeah there's a lot of analogies between the between the the sort of national party establishment and the republican party establishment like M mitch mcconnell should be in jail not leading the senate in the in the gop you know his wife his wife's family has made billions of dollars carrying goods for the chinese communist party and the people's liberation army he has done everything he can to put money into sabotaging market candidates and electing liberal. He would rather lose a Senate seat than let a conservative have it. He is the, the biggest single danger in the GOP. McCarthy is cut from the same cloth, but the Republican grassroots has more leverage in the House. And so they could force him to do He's only got three or four seats majority, five, five seats majority. They can say, if you don't do this, Kevin, if you don't cut this tax, if you don't do this, we are going to withdraw your support and you are no longer speaker. You know, they can do that, whereas McConnell was more secure in his position. But I think the number one priority, if I was uh, as a grassroots Republican for me, is getting rid of Mitch McConnell. Mm. He, he, is, he, is, he is a traitor. Mm. That's not to put a too fine a point on it.
the so-called red wave that they were hoping to achieve in the midterms just didn't happen. I mean, it was fairly underwhelming. They did get the numbers that they needed, but the Senate race didn't pan out there in their direction. How do you think that will hurt them coming into the general election? Will they be able to get enough momentum back up again to get whoever their nominee is over the line? I think it would be very difficult. And I just want to draw a little point that nobody seems to discuss. The only place that had a real red wave was Florida. Mm. Because in Florida, under Governor DeSantis, there have been real, actual things done to dampen down on vote fraud. He's gone after vote fraud rings in um, Fort Lauderdale and Orlando. He's prosecuted people for vote fraud. He's banned banned um, ballot box, um, you know, drop boxes. He's done a whole bunch of things. Not enough, in my opinion, but more than anywhere else. So we got a red wave in Florida, but nobody else did because what happened? Florida went deeper red because they reduced the vote fraud. The red states pretty much stayed the same and the purple states went bluer because they are dominated by the big Democrat cities like Detroit, Los Angeles, whatever, where the voting fraud is endemic and they doubled down on it. So purple went bluer, blue went bluer, red stayed the same except for Florida, which did much better because they reduced the vote fraud. So many states all over, many of the red states have adopted similar measures to what DeSantis has done. So we are going to see a better reflection of the electorate this time around. I'm not saying nowhere near enough, in my opinion, not not nearly enough, but there will be some progress made. So I think with given the complete unpopularity of the Democrats, given the right campaign and given and this depends on the primary as well and how brutal that is, given the right outcome there, I I, I still think we have a fighting chance. Mm. You know, I think we've got a 50-50 chance, okay? I'd like to say we've got an 80-20 chance, but I think 50-50 is more more realistic. And that might be a little bit optimistic. Yeah. I know last year Patrick Basham came out and said that he didn't believe that DeSantis would throw his hat in a ring and he'd potentially heard that a deal had been done, but then DeSantis has put his nomination in. What do you think prompted that? I Personally, I think he's too oh, soon, look, but I, I like oh, yeah, well, may, Maybe, and you could say that's right. You know, he could have waited until after Trump. Look, he was always going to run. I, I, thought, I don't know where Patrick got that from, but I live in Florida. I've got my, I sort of have an ear to the Republican Party here. I don't think there was any question that he was going to run. You're sure the Trump people have tried to deter him in that, but I, but I think he he's thrown his hat in the ring. And I would give him a 40% chance of getting the nomination, hmm. I would say. Yeah. I think because uh, Trump's got a lot of legal problems coming up. Trump's also got a very big albatross around his neck and his, his ongoing support for vaccines. And DeSantis has... Uh, when the two go head to head, I think um, I, would, I would give DeSantis a pretty high chance of prevailing, actually. I think the one that. Trump's still the favourite, but I wouldn't write DeSantis off by any yeah. means. The one thing I saw with DeSantis is two things. One, I think the National Party here, Christopher Luxon, could learn a lot from DeSantis because he has shown courage and leadership, even yeah. in the face of 
what is the current paradigm culturally. And, I mean, he's not been afraid of who he takes on. I mean, the fact that he's taken Disney on to the level that he has is massive. To me, he's going back to the principles of the American Constitution. Is that something that a lot of grassroots Republicans are a feeling like that they're wanting to see. They're wanting to see oh, that constitution look, look, restored. Yeah. Look, a hundred percent. See, look, I go to a lot of Republican meetings there. And as I say, the old guard who regard the, the Republican Party as basically a business opportunity, you know, as a as a country club, as their little fiefdom, that is dying. You know, COVID really did us a favor in some ways because people sat at home for two years watching, reading their kids' school textbooks, watching their cities being burnt, watching their elections stolen, and they've finally woken up to the fact that we could lose this country. So what you're seeing is a massive growth, like you see in New Zealand with Voices for Freedom, you're seeing a massive growth of these grassroots groups, you know, Moms for Liberty, that you see them all over the place, plus a lot of younger people are joining the GOP and getting very active, the Republican Party and getting very active. And they're not joining for the country club. They're joining to save their kids. They're joining to mm. save their country. There's a whole different a- attitude. And that feeds onto the Tea Party movement that came along 10 years ago. A lot of them are still on there. A lot of them have taken over Republican parties and in certain districts. And these new ones are coming in and they're fired up. This is not a business as usual party. And if Luxton would understand the mood is the same in New Zealand, and if David Seymour would understand that, um, they could do they they should be national and act should be comfortably on sixty-five percent between them right now. They should be, but they're not because Luxton is too much like a Jeb Bush, mm. you know, too much the old guard, too much of don't do anything too radical, don't really make a stand, just be a moderate, you know, just moderate yourself into the prime minister's job. You know, people have gone through a couple of years of hell with the COVIDs, with the economic wreckage political correctness, the education corruption, free waters, all this kind of thing, co-governance. And I think my reading in New Zealand is very similar to what the people in the United States, the grassroots, they're sick of it. Mm. They understand their way of life is under threat and they want leaders who will articulate that like Ron DeSantis does, like Trump does, and be very, very bold about saying so. You know, they're not, they don't want any more Mitt Romneys. They don't want any more wimpy leaders. Mm. They really do want grassroots leadership that is strong and uncompromising and will stand for people's rights. That's why DeSantis has done so well. Well, it's how Trump got elected in 2016. It's exactly how Trump Mm. got elected. You tell the truth, you appeal to the social issues, you are uncompromising, you stick it to the media, you stick it to your opposition, and you stand up for your people. Is this a difficult formula to work out? Yeah. <laughs> this- One of the th- things I've observed 
in here in New Zealand, and I have actually observed it with people because I do have a close connection to the United States, is there are a lot of people at the moment that are politically homeless. So traditionally, like both countries, if you were sort of the rural rednecks or uh, the rural conservatives, you, you tended to vote national or Republican. And then the blue-collar urbans, uh, unionised, tend to go to Democratic or, or Labour. What we're certainly seeing in this country is a reversal, particularly of that blue-collar urban voter. And a lot of them are class-based, the old class-based system. They have been, they're the stalwarts of the Labour Party's the stalwarts of the unions. And all of a sudden, their team isn't a team that they recognise anymore. The people that are representing and speaking for them are the laptop lifestylers who, you know, the only thing they had yeah, to worry about yeah. in a COVID lockdown is whether or not someone could see that they were sitting in the audio onesie when they were on a Zoom. You know, these sorts of people, whereas those who are actually out there at the coalface are all of a sudden waking up. When you're out and about, are you seeing that? Are you seeing those traditional what were the base of the Democratic Party and probably the base of the Labour Party here now finally putting their hands up going, I can't do this anymore? Look, 100%. I'm actually not at home now. I'm up in Pennsylvania and I'm right in the Rust Belt. I'm near Allentown, you know, living I've been there, there in Allentown. Yeah. Yeah. They're closing all the factories down. I'm living very close to there. And this is Democrat union, mining, working class, factory territory. And the American flags and Trump staff is all over. I see that in Michigan too. I see that in Minnesota. The the guys who would have been union guys, patriots, but Democrat, traditional Democrats, they love Trump. They love the grassroots. They love make America great again. They want to bring manufacturing back to the country. They want to um, restore American values. They're not okay with their kids learning transgender stuff. They're not okay with their factories being closed down. They're not okay with this assault on their culture and making patriotism bad. This is the same thing when I was with uh, Voices for Freedom. There's a lot of ex-Labor people there, mm. you know, who would have once been pretty hardcore Labor, but they, they look at modern Labor under Jacinda. This is not Norman Kirk Labor, is it? I grew up in Kaipo. Norman Kirk was our mayor once, you know. Mm. The same phenomenon that you're talking about is very evident in America. Look, a lot of um, New York Democrats come down to Florida. The minute they get down here, they change their registration to Republican. Mm. We get the, you know, from New York, Massachusetts, New Jersey, they come down to Florida. And we were worried about that because we thought, oh, they're going to bring their vote patterns down. That's not what's happened. They're changing their vote because they come to free Florida for a reason. They stick to death of the taxes and the political correctness and the vote fraud and the, and the, the corruption that they see up there. They want a free state. And, uh, you know, Labor, the New Zealand Labor Party is dominated by basically student Maoists now, mm. you know, hardcore radicals who learned their communism at university, went into the Labor Party, and now they're running things. The Prisipkins, the... Um, all, all these Grant people, Robertson. Yeah, they are. Grant Robertson, Aisha Verrill. That's where they come from. That's their background. And then they come in with the Greens, who are basically just Marxists. This is openly Marxist now. And so, yeah, this is this is not the Labour Party of the past by any means. So they're looking for a new home. But they don't really like National too much. 
because that's a bit pluty and you know Chris Luckton that's not really what they want and that's why they're attracted to some of the smaller parties the more vibrant parties and in America you've only really got Republican or Democrat but they're not attracted to the old guy they're not coming over to vote for a Jeb Bush type or a Mitt Romney they're coming over to vote for Trumps and DeSantis's and and Carrie Lakes and people like that who are really willing to fly the flag really stand up so there's a real a real political and cultural shift going on in America right now mm. which if it's allowed to mature is going to be great for the future the trouble is are we going to get to that point and I think the similar in New Zealand I think sometimes you have to almost lose something before you appreciate it and I think that's what million what millions of Americans and hundreds of thousands of New Zealanders have experienced in the last couple of years yeah have finally seen that their freedom could go and not come back and that they're worried about that as they should be absolutely they should be and I and also to this pervasion of this culture this whole neo-marxist critical theory based culture is based in affluence so when affluence mm. is prevalent it's going to thrive but the minute that the pedal hits the metal and people are struggling and they're hurting I think that's when they're starting to sort of wake out of their stupor almost and wake up when you're when you're insulated it doesn't think but now you're seeing it with your kids mm. now the COVID lockdowns affected you you know and it ruined your business or, or got you fired or whatever this is serious serious stuff mm. this isn't just silliness anymore this is actual serious stuff now so me being a casual observer looking up at the us and particularly around this cultural landscape. I mean, the foundations have been there since the 50s. I mean, there were Russian defectors that warned about this all the way back then. Personally, I think that this had an opportunity to propagate under the eight years of Barack Obama. And he stood there and gaslit Democrats six ways till Sunday, and everyone just thought he was the best thing since sliced bread. But if you scratch below the surface, he was as dirty as a shithouse rat. What, what are your thoughts on that? Your expression I haven't heard for a while. But look, look, there was a great essay I saw the other day. What we see in America now is what what Obama did. This this Marxist infiltration has been going for a hundred years. You know, it, it was in the in the education system in the thirties and the journalism colleges in the fifties. It was never ever cleaned out. But under Obama, he put the activist base, because he was working with the Communist Party and Democratic Socialists of America, he put the activist base in charge of the government departments. He put them into the leadership of the IRS and the Justice Department and the um, basically in, in, in the military even and all of the health department, the health, educational welfare. He filled it full of radicals. I just found today the the head of the just of the energy department is a Native American woman put in by Obama who used to go and hang around with some of the Urawera 17 people, you know, the ones who got arrested up into it. So she is now the head of energy in the Department of Energy covering all the Native American lands in America. So that's what he did. He filled the bureaucracy with Marxists. And so now the Justice Department is weaponized against patriots. The IRS is weaponized. The EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, has been weaponized. 
they're all being weaponized. And that's exactly what Chris Hipkins and Jacinda Ardern are doing in New Zealand. They are filling the bureaucracies with their Maoist and Marxist friends, especially education, but also justice, Ministry of Social Development, all of them are now led by Marxists and radicals. And that has really started under Helen Clark, but it accelerated under Jacinda Ardern, and Chris Hipkins is just pushing, piling it on. And you just have to look at the disinformation project. I mean, one of the leads is it's even in exactly. her bio. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah well, is. my wife has done a lot of lot of research on that, and that is directly tied up to the US State Department, uh, the disinformation project. It is led by Marxists, mm. by actual real Marxists. Hannah, um, what's her name? And what Kate Hannah. That's, Kate Hannah and Sanjana. Kate Hannah. Kate Hannah. She is a Marxist. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, an open Marxist. And she is now having influence on what you and I or anybody in New Zealand gets to read or see on the internet. That's her goal, to control that. Yeah. There are so many threats coming from so many levels. There was, even prior to this government, you would have, like, the issue du jour, an issue would crop up, it would get debated out in the, the yeah, public yeah. sphere, on the media, it would bounce around. If the public opinion swayed too negative, you would see a government back down, and then we'd all move on. Since this crew have been on board, I really noticed it in, it was about April of 21, and so we'd gotten through the first flush of all the COVID hoo-ha, it literally felt like the government were dropping policy bombshells every week. Big things. And so health is actually an area that my husband and I had a business in uh, for a very long time. And I remember one of the, it was Anzac weekend, and she they dropped the new uh, Health New Zealand, what is now Health New Zealand bombshell. And I said to my Just husband. Said by Rob Campbell, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, yeah. I remember saying to my husband, because we're both in our 50s, and I'm thinking, I said to him, does this not feel awfully familiar to you? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it does. And, I mean, we looked at it, dug back into it, and they, and I was like, oh, my gosh, they brought back Crown Health Enterprise. It's literally, I mean, they've literally regurgitated a policy from when we both started back in the day, you know, and, and it was it's like, gosh, it's a there's different name. just a different name. Yeah. The new thing. Well, that's they put the old. They, they, they put the old Maoist Rob Campbell in charge of it. Yeah, the new thing cropping up now, of course, are these ESG schools with corporate equity or corporate equality. I think was the word that they used, not equity. I was surprised by that. Um, index. These index. Have you come across these? Well, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. I know I've spoken to people and they have said to me, why companies like Anheuser-Busch and they can see that this goes against their branding and stuff. And it's like, yeah, but it's not about that. <laughs> you know, it's about no, these, these ESG scores. Most biz- big businesses of that size have government contracts. And so to get a government contract, you need to be ESG compliant. That's how they do it. Um, like, for instance, they socialized all the student loans in America. And now to get a student loan, you can only go to universities who are ESG approved. That's how they control it. So you're a university, so you want lots of people coming to university. They're going to get student loans, but they can only do it if you adopt ESG. Um, 
you know, the social governance stuff, the political correctness, all the diversity and everything that goes with it. And same with these big companies. They have contracts, if they don't have contracts with the government, they have contracts with people like BlackRock. And BlackRock works for China. And China is enforcing this stuff. This is what we call the Chinese, the Maoists would call mass line. Now, back in the 60s, when Mao was, was going, they would have mass line. Now, everybody had to go out and kill 10 flies every day because too many flies. So every, the sparrows were eating the crops. So everybody had to go and kill a sparrow every day. Everybody had to. If you could walk, you had to kill a sparrow. Everybody had to conform. And if you didn't, you would be punished. Well, this is what we saw in COVID in New Zealand. We saw mass line enforcement. It was never going to be about vitamin D or ivermectin or herd immunity. It was the Chinese mass line. It's going to be lockdowns, COVIDs, and vaccines. That's the mass line. And what did they do to you if you didn't conform? You were punished. You were ostracized. You were fired. That was their enforcement mechanism. Well, ESG is the enforcement mechanism for business. This is how you get businesses to adopt socialist policies. You want to do business with the government? You want to do business with China? You want to do business with BlackRock? You want um, to get student loans coming into your enterprise? You have to adopt ESG. And it's just, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's the Chinese social credit system for business. You know, as you know, in China, everybody gets a social credit score. You start your life, you have a score going with you all your life. You go to a church, you get the black mark. You commit a crime, you get another black mark. You join the Communist Party, that's a positive mark. Um, if your father a father was caught for embezzlement, that's a bad, bad mark against you. And this determines what jobs you get, can you travel, um, what education you can undertake. So everything you do is scored from the from the first day, from the day you draw breath to the day you die. Well, that is the, the model for the world. ESG for business, social credit for individuals, and all of what we're seeing around the West, this political correctness, the ESG, the enforcement mechanisms that is Climate all goals. to get us controlled, yeah. you know, basically compliant, from the day we're born to the day we die. This is this is a future of North Korea worldwide with American surveillance technology. That's that's the future that they have planned for us. Yeah. So in this country, think Rainbow Tick, think Public Interest Journalism Fund, think digital Yeah, yeah. Yeah, health passports exactly. Oh, such a cheery thing. Such a cheery thing to look forward to, Julia. <laughs> Well, it is, but you know, this is you know, you say the journalism public. So these all these big journalist things, they're getting money from the government, and they got to promote the Tariti of Waitangi as part of that, and they're not going to criticise the hand that feeds them, are they? No, people are seeing it now. Like I, I've spoken to people that when they read a story and they see that public interest journalism fund logo at the bottom, they just think, oh. Which then brings us to, I mean, media trust in the New Zealand media is now down to forty-two percent. Well, I'm surprised it's that high, to be honest. In America, it's something like 15%. Wow. You know, even most liberals don't trust the media over here. It's like the old Soviet media. 
everybody would read the paper and they'd read between the lines. Oh, yeah, they're saying this. Well, really, it's the opposite. Whatever the government's telling you, you know it's the opposite. We've harvested 4 million cabbages in Uzbekistan. Well, you know that there's a crop failure in Uzbekistan, you know. Mm. It's, 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 but this is the future. This is the Orwellian future we're heading to, you know. Good is bad, black is white, um, up is down, you know, lies are truth, truth are lies. That is the dystopian future that we're heading into, and we've got to stop that. Yeah. Well, before we head off, Dame Jacinda, thoughts? Dame Jacinda, well, you know, she is she is a little student radical, a little Marxist who did what she was told and carried out the policies for her masters in China and other places, and now she's been naturally rewarded for that. And she's, you know, the, the Christchurch... Um, what are the big things she's in? Christchurch call. Christchurch call. Christchurch call. Um, she'll get a job in the UN or something like Auntie Helen did. Some, you know, somewhere down the track. She is. She's a Judas, and but she, you know, Judases get their thirty pieces of silver, and this is her thirty pieces of silver. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you see that I, I have a media panel with a friend of mine, and and I said to him, I said, I, I said, this is a golden handshake. This is exactly what this is. This is, you know, payment for services. You've done your job, Jacinta. You went through some tough times enforcing that COVID stuff. And, you know, people push back, but you stayed the course. Mm. You didn't back down. You did what you were told. Well, we're going to make the rest of your life very comfortable for you. You know, that's how it works. You know, we are heading into a world where you've got to go along to get along. That's the kind of world they want to take us into. And and we need to talk, you know, about how we stop that. You know, we've got an election in New Zealand this year. It's very critical. The election's coming up in America, but it's more than elections. We're going to we need a whole cultural shift. We're going to wean ourselves off socialism before it destroys us. Yeah. I would love to get you back before the election if we can, and definitely before oh, the primary season. Absolutely. Yeah, There are so many things that need to shift. Things are starting to shift in Europe. We're starting to see um, Georgia Maloney is starting to make some positive change in Italy. Absolutely. She's a great example. And I did hear that there's some rumblings and fracas going on in Spain as well. So I think they call the snap election there. Sweden. In Sweden, yeah. Yeah, there's there's definitely some very good figures coming forward in Spain. Um, Sweden is uh, doing very well in certain areas. They're they're starting to shake off their socialism there and they're not – that's why Sweden had the lightest lockdowns in Europe, because they have the least Chinese influence there. You'll notice that all the countries that had the worst lockdowns are the ones where the Chinese dominate. But another topic I know I want to get you back on is China's influence in the Pacific. But that's another day, Trevor. We could be here all yeah, day yeah. otherwise. Thank you so much. This has been okay. Trevor Loudon here on Reality Check Radio. Don't disappear, though. Still more great music. Woke Word of the Week, Media Matters, all still to come here with Marie on Counterculture. You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Reality yeah. Check Radio. Radio.